You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, Riverside. I'm sorry I couldn't be with you today, but don't feel sorry for me. Teresa and I are out in California visiting our daughter and son-in-law out here. But I did want to speak to you and, first of all, congratulate those of you that got baptized this morning. What a great step of faith that is, and, and, and God bless you for that. And, and I just want to encourage anybody that's not been baptized since you've become a believer to take that step of faith next time we offer water baptism. I really wanted to speak to you also because I wanted to introduce to you today our guest speaker, George Krebs. Uh, George has been a friend of mine for quite a while. He's not unfamiliar with many of the people here at the church, especially our children's ministry team, the East Churchill, and the volunteers that go up to camp with our kids in the summertime and in the winter camp. Uh, George is the director of Christian education for the Pennsylvania-Delaware District of the Assemblies of God. He's also the director of the, of the conference center up in um, Carlisle, PA. Uh, but George is a native Pittsburgher. Uh, actually, George grew up in Verona until he was in second grade, and then his family moved across the river in Cheswick. He graduated from Fox Chapel High School. So welcome back home, George. It's good to have you back in your home territory here. Uh, George came to know Christ right around his uh, high school years, his, his later high school years, and uh, got involved volunteering up at the Teen Challenge Center in Rural Ridge and began to grow in his faith there and Traveled around to different churches, ended up uh, uh, catching eyes with a pastor's daughter down at Bethel Assembly down on the north side and ended up marrying Debbie Sheridan. Uh, George and Deb have two boys and uh, John and Jeremy. Uh, George is, is an avid fly fisherman. Some of you guys will like that. He's also uh, a biker, has a Harley um, and uh, But the thing about George, which is so great, is he's just the guy that he loves people. George has a way of making anyone that he's talking to feel like they are really important to him. And they are. And uh, George is a clear thinker. He is a skilled leader and a great communicator. Uh, George is also charting a new territory in his life at this stage. I mentioned Deb to you. Uh, after 32 years of marriage, she uh, went to be with the Lord last year after a battle with cancer. And so George is at a new chapter in his life. And I just want you to give him a very nice, warm RCC welcome this morning. George, it's good to have you with us. Wow, thank you, Pastor Bill. I know you can't hear me, but I appreciate that. Um, that was a great introduction. I'd like to have a copy of that, please, to take with me. Um, everywhere I go, people always give me such nice introductions, and I always say the same thing. I wish my mother could have heard that. Well, today is an unusual day. This is my home area, and my mother's visiting with me, and I brought her down. Mom, would you wave everybody back there? That's my mother. So... You hear all those nice things they say about me, Mom? It's true. I know you think that's going to turn out very well, but I did, so thank you. No, my mother was my greatest cheerleader. I thank you, Mom, for all you poured into my life. Um, God is just so great, so unique, and so great in the way he deals with his people. I love it. 
Uh, my message this morning, and oh, first of all, let me just say I love being here in, in Oakmont, and this morning I had a chance to stop and see the folks up at the mills, and it was great to be with you there this morning. And these are my old stomping grounds. As a high schooler, I remember driving cars up and down this road very fast and getting in trouble uh, and motorcycles. And uh, I went up through the area where the mills is located now. And when I was a teenager, there was nothing but automotive recycling yards. And I was pretty much of a gearhead, so I hung out up there. And, and now they're recycling lives at the mills. And it's just great. It's great that God is using you folks to touch lives here in this area. Um, it's a very dear area to me. Uh, I know that you guys have been talking about the Psalms, and uh, I have a message from the Psalms. It's quite different than most of the messages you've heard previously, Awake My Soul, with such encouraging uh, psalms behind it. Uh, Mine is called, Awake My Soul, You Are Surrounded by Life's Enemies. Not exactly the most encouraging way to start a message, but it gets there. Just hang on. I know what it's like to get in a car with somebody, and they're driving somewhere, and they're not telling you where they're going. I'm going to tell you where we're going. I'm going to talk about life's enemies surrounding us and how we need to see God and how we need to let God serve us and finally how we need to be thankful for what God does. Be thankful when the enemies are surrounding you. That may sound kind of uh, uncommon, but it's very true. We need to be thankful that God is in the midst of us. Uh, The first enemy I ever remember having was as a child and his name was Gary Carter. And uh, I went to a little elementary grade school on Route 910 up in Indianola, eight rooms. And uh, Gary Carter was there in school. And for some reason, he was, uh, I was in third grade, Gary was in fourth grade. I remember this very distinctly. He seemed to be like 15 years older than me. He really wasn't. And he seemed to be like seven times larger than me. And I was a very large, pudgy little kid too. Gary was big. And nobody ever called him Gary except the teachers and the principal. Everybody called him Moose. Moose Carter. Now, they didn't call Gary Moose because he watched Bullwinkle cartoons. They called Gary Moose because he was big and strong and solid. And he looked like he was mean, but he really wasn't. But I thought he was. And I rode the bus into school. And for some reason, at my little grade school, they made all the kids who walked in the community line up in the sidewalk and wait until the bus got there. The bus kids could walk in and get in school first, and they'd close the door. And a few minutes later, they let the walker kids who walked. They called them walkers, let those kids go in. Somehow that must have irritated Gary. And for some strange reason, Gary took his irritation out on me. I don't know why. Did it ever happen to you? Like everybody's irritation comes out on you sometimes? Yeah, it happens. And uh, what happened, though, is I would get off the bus, and Gary was right there by the bus door, and he would kick me all the way into school. And he got a great thrill out of that. I did not. And uh, after the first day, I thought, I don't like this. And the second day, this really hurts. And the third day, I didn't like it at all. And I couldn't hear why this kid was picking on me. And I finally said something to him, and he said something like this, something to the effect of, I'm going to kill you. Now, when you're in third grade, and Moose Carter says that, you really think it's going to happen. And I thought my life was over. And I remember going into the school and talking to Mrs. Brevard. She was the head teacher that year. And uh, I told her what Gary said. He was going to kill me, and I thought he really was. And she called Gary in and had us make peace. And he had to ask for forgiveness, and I forgave him. We shook hands. And from that point on, Gary and I became friends for some strange reason. He was done kicking me, and he even liked me. Well, two years later, I was a fifth grader, and Gary was a sixth grader, and we went to the renowned Kennywood Park. Anybody ever been to Kennywood Park? Yeah, if you live in Pittsburgh, you always go to Kennywood, right? Even if you go to the church at the mills, you go to Kennywood, right? Kennywood's the place to be. And I remember, I was not much of a fighter back then, you already know that. I got kicked around pretty easily. 
But I was mean when it came to skee-ball. Oh, I was bad. Me and skee-ball were cool. And I could throw that skee-ball, and I scored points, and I won enough tickets at Kennywood to get a camera. Now, this is 1966, and that camera was very valuable. I, you know, come to think of it, I don't think I ever put a film in the thing. I never even used it. But I wanted that camera. And there were four or five boys from another school district that were there. It was a school picnic day, and they wanted my camera too. And I can remember backing, they backed me, all four or five of these guys, backed me into a corner in the arcade with a camera behind my back. And I thought this, I'm going to fight to the death for this camera. It's plastic and it's mine. <laughs> and uh, they just, they kept saying, give us the camera, kid, give us the camera. And I said, no, we're going to beat you up. I said, I don't care, you're not getting my camera. And finally, Moose Carter walked in the arcade. Hallelujah. <laughs> Moose walked in, walked over to me, what's going on? I said, Moose, they want my camera. Leave them alone. They scattered. And Moose and I walked out, and I was never so happy to have Moose Carter as my friend. You know, that's what I want from God. Whenever I get in those situations, I want that kind of protection from God when I'm in the middle of my enemies. And the Bible says a lot about us being in the middle of enemies. Many passages speak of how difficult it is in the presence of our enemies. Psalm 17, hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. Psalm 25, don't let me be put to shame. Let my, don't let my enemies triumph over me. Psalm 31, deliver me from my enemies who pursue me. Psalm 41, my enemies say of me, when, he, when will he die and his name perish? Whenever one comes to see me, he speaks falsely and his heart gathers slander. All of my enemies whisper and come against me and they say the worst for me. We want God to deliver us from our enemies. Some scriptures speak of being in the middle of our enemies. Psalm 17, the wicked who assail me from my mortal enemies who surround me. Psalm 25, see how my enemies have increased? Do you ever have that? You start your day off and it gets worse and worse. Your enemies begin to increase more and more. Psalm 69, those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Well, not my head, but some heads. I don't have much hair left up there anymore. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Maybe you're like me, and once in a while you, you, you have this enemy, and you just think, wouldn't it be nice if somebody would knock him in the jaw and break a few of his teeth off? I just hope that would happen once in a while. Now, I know we're Christians. We shouldn't think that way, but honestly, don't we once in a while? Come on. We've all been there. You know, awake, my soul. We are surrounded by life's enemies. Deliver me, O Lord. O God, protect me from those who rise up against me. I love this psalm. Psalm 23.5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You don't prepare a table in the back room where it's safe. You don't prepare a table for me tomorrow. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right in the middle of our enemies, God sets a table. There's no way God can prepare a table for us if we're not surrounded by enemies. All these scriptures agree in one thing. Every one of us here today, we have enemies. Things that overtake us and want to overtake us. How many of you have ever had a boss that just watches your every move and breathes down your neck, just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can beat you over the head with it? Ever been there? Don't, don't raise your hand. I don't want anybody to, in case your boss is here today. Um, you know, just waiting for you to trip up so they can challenge you. You know, you feel like it's just going to be a matter of time before you're attacked, beaten, devoured, and left with the buzzards. Maybe your enemy is your finances. You scrimped and you saved, you're getting ready for retirement, and now 
you did the best you could to manage your money, but there's just not enough there. What am I going to do? It seems my taxes have doubled. My food expenses are 50%. The utility bill has tripled. You never dreamed you'd spend this much of your income on health insurance. You can't believe it. You're looking over your shoulder. You're wondering when the financial giant, the financial enemy is going to close in on you. Maybe it's a family situation. The enemy just camps on your back porch. Maybe your family does too. Who knows? You have no idea how overwhelming the task is going to be caring for your aging parents. You thought for sure all your siblings would chip in and help, and now there's no time and no resources. You've not seen relief for months. Your mom gets weaker every day. Your dad has Alzheimer's. Every time you talk to your brothers and sisters about help, it's like a battle between enemies instead of a family. You don't know how much longer you're going to survive. It's an enemy. Maybe it's your own body that has served you so well for so many years is now starting to attack you. You dreaded that word cancer, but it came into your being. What do you mean, doctor? My spine's degenerating. How can my own body attack its immune system? I don't understand it. Perhaps you inherited the wrong genes. Your grandparents were diabetics, your parents were diabetics, your uncles and aunts were diabetics, and now you are too. Your own body attacking you. We find ourselves in many situations where we have enemies that surround us. And I've just named a few. If I ask you to stand up and share your enemies, there'll be many, many more because we live in that world where things just don't always go like we would wish they well, wish they would. The problem in this country is we want to fight using our own strategy. We want to do it our way. We, if we were psalmists today, we'd cry out, remove my enemies, get them out of my sight, strike them down, hide me from them. We'd never say, God, please put me in the middle of my enemies. God, please surround me with those who don't like me. We'd never cry that out. It says, awake my soul, you are surrounded by life's enemies. Psalm 23, 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What really takes place when God prepares a table for us in the middle of our enemies? What really happens? Number one, you need to seek God in your situation. First thing you need to do is seek God in your situation. The same Holy Spirit that helped the authors write the scriptures is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you as salvation. It's the same Holy Spirit that directs and guides us. It's the same Holy Spirit we pray to for help. It's the same Holy Spirit who's our conscience inside. He's the same Holy Spirit that is at work in your life in every situation that seems dire. He is always and constantly at work in your life. Do you know God can't turn away from you? How many of you have children and they whine and cry? You can just turn your back and not talk to the hand, kids. I'm tired of hearing you whining. We can do that to our kids. God can't. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at the same time. And he's always with you. And no matter what you go through, he's looking at you day and night, 24-7, never takes his eyes off of you. Never turns his back on you, never turns away from you, no matter what you're going through. You see, he is always at work in your situation. He never quits. Hopelessness of depression, it's based on a lie. It's based on a lie that God doesn't care, but you see, God always cares, and there's always hope. And he never, never turns his eye from you. The difficulty is when we get so hopeless, we can't believe God really cares about us, and that's not true. He always cares. It's like the little orphan boy who was adopted, and he goes into the, this great new father that he has in the father's mansion, and there's a buffet table with all the food he wants. He's never seen anything like it before in his life. And there are brothers and sisters who've been adopted, and it's a great life. And as he goes to the banquet table and begins to fill his plate, he leans over and he knocks a big vase, and it crashes, a very expensive vase to the ground. 
And he says, oh, no, what have I done? Well, in the orphanage, I'd get beaten for this, and he reverts back to his old life. I better hide. And he goes down to the basement, and he hides in the darkness down there day after day, wanting something to eat, afraid to come out. And he would see the door just crack open and the shaft of light come down, but he never goes upstairs because he knows he's so unworthy. And why would God ever care about him? Finally, the little boy can't stand it. He has to get something to eat. He, he sneaks up the stairs, and he opens the door, and there's the father there. He says, where have you been? I've looked everywhere for you. He says, Father, I, I broke the vase, and I, I know how, what trouble I'm in. I, I just couldn't bring myself to come back up. And he said, it's only a vase. I've adopted you. You're my son. Everything I have is yours. Come eat at the table. And that's what God does to us. And many times we're afraid to realize just how good we have it just how much he loves us. We look at the enemies and we think he doesn't love us. In the meantime, what's really taking place, he is setting a table for us in the presence of our enemies. We may feel we don't belong. We may feel we're not deserving, but God doesn't see it that way. He's paid a great price for our adoption, the life of his son, and he wants us to come into his kingdom. We all have bad days. We have difficult things that happen to us. Probably the worst situation my whole life, Pastor Bill, already shared with you. I was married to my wife for 32 years. Four and a half years of cancer and chemo. She passed away over a year ago. At first six months, I did not want to live. I prayed every night that I would not wake up. And if you've lost a spouse, you know what I'm talking about. Whether it's been through divorce or death, the same grief and the same pain are still there. The hurt is still there. And then I lost my wife. I lost my best friend. I lost the mother of my children. I lost my ministry partner, the mother of my grandchildren, my retirement partner, the person who was my best critic, who loved me unconditionally. I lost the person to spend evenings with and talk with. I lost the person to snuggle up with and watch a movie with. I lost everything. I lost my wife. There's nothing worse you could do to me today than me losing my wife. Nothing could hurt more. Nothing could be taken away. You could nail my fingers to a tree, cut my legs off, and let me hang and suffer, and it wouldn't be worse than what I've already went through and lost with my wife. And I have to rationalize this, that it was all allowed by God. He could have very easily, with his power, reached down and raised her up and healed her. Other people have been healed. I've read about it. I've seen it. I know it. But he chose not to heal my wife for some reason. He allowed her to go through four and a half years of chemo and then pass away in my family room. Her last words to me, I love you too. Nothing could tear me up more than that. And God allowed it. You see, God has a plan. And sometimes, while I may have seen cancer and death as my enemy, it really has no bearing because God set a table for me in the presence of all that. A friend once told me about six months after my wife passed away, she said to me this. She had lost her husband. And she said, God spoke to my heart and said, your life isn't over until I say it's over. She said, I'm going to speak those same words to you. And I'm going to share those same words with you. Your life isn't over until God says it's over. God has a plan. Awake, my soul. You are surrounded by life's enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God can only set the table for us if we're surrounded. Number two. You need to relax and let God serve you. You let God serve you. You know, we're always told we're we're called to serve him, and that's true to a point, but God wants to serve us. He's watching our whole lives play out, and he's serving us. We don't even realize it sometimes. 
We need to be relaxed and not panic, realizing God has everything under control. We need to enjoy the blessings that he has. We worry way too much what could be happening to us when we're surrounded by our enemies, but the truth is, God is in control. Crystal White tells this story. 1965, she was at a family reunion in Florida. Her grandmother, at 2 o'clock in the morning, woke up, woke up all the family members at the family reunion and said, Quick, everybody, God spoke to me in a dream. She said, I want everyone to gather up all the Coca-Cola bottles we had outside. I'm going to write notes and put scriptures on them, and we're going to put them in the bottles and put corks, and we're going to throw them in the ocean. Now, how many of you know grandmas can be kind of cracked up sometimes? Yeah, they, they're not always playing with a full deck. So, but they wanted to oblige Grandma, so in 1965, they went, and they, uh, they obeyed, and they grabbed out all the Coca-Cola bottles that were outside and, uh, from the party, and they wrote, Grandma wrote little notes, and they put the notes inside, and they put the corks in the bottle, and they went out to Cocoa Beach, where they were staying, and they tossed them in the ocean, all 200 of them. Well, over the next several years, people would contact Grandma with a note card saying, Hey, I, I w- was looking out in the ocean, and I saw this bottle float up, and your cards and your scriptures were a real encouragement to me. Grandma passed away in 1974, November. The next month, the last and final letter arrived. This is what it said. Dear Mrs. Goss, I'm writing this letter by candlelight, for we no longer have electricity on the farm. My husband was killed in the fall when the tractor overturned, and we left several children and myself behind, and well, the bank is now foreclosing on our farm. There's only one loaf of bread left, and there's snow in the ground, and Christmas is two weeks away. I prayed for forgiveness before I went down to the creek this afternoon. You see, the river's been frozen over for weeks. I didn't think it would take long after I threw myself in for me to drown. I couldn't stand living any longer. When I broke the ice to jump in, a Coca-Cola bottle floated up. I opened it, and with tears and trembling hands, I read about hope. Ecclesiastes 9.4. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. I read Hebrews 7.19 and Hebrews 6.18 and John 3.3 were also in your letter. I came home and opened up my Bible, and now I'm thanking God. Please pray for us. I believe we're going to make it. From a farm in Ohio. How did that bottle get from Cocoa Beach, Florida to a river in Ohio? I'll never know. But God knows. Because you see, God's in control. God's in control. We need to change our thinking and allow Him to serve us. I have here what every man wants. A remote control. <laughs> Super size. Yes. How many men here are Steeler fans? I'm in Pittsburgh, right? Close enough, yeah. There's even a button on here, guys, for your wife when you're watching the Steeler game. It says mute. <laughs> Quiet, honey. I'm watching the game. Don't get mad at me, ladies. I'm only teasing, okay? We want this. We want to control everything. You know, whoever owns this in my house was king. And my wife usually kept it all the time, so she was queen. But, you know, we like to fight over, not fight, but banter over the remote control. We wanted to control things. And that's what we are in life. We want to control. It's hard to give this up. I go to my brother-in-law's house for Thanksgiving sometimes, and he controls the remote. It's his house, it's his chair, it's his television, and I can't stand it. it I, I want to bring my own television sometimes, or I'll just, I'll just go and watch YouTube. I can't stand it because he is in control. I like to be in control. And that's how we are sometimes with God in our lives. We want to be in control. We've got to realize when we give control to God, He will serve us. He wants to serve you in your situation when you're surrounded by your enemies. Awake, my soul. You are surrounded by life's enemies. 
Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Number three, we need to be thankful. What's our response when God is setting the table for us? Are we thankful? Sometimes we're not very thankful. Sometimes we're not too sure about what's going on. We need to be thankful in the presence of our enemies, though. We want God to set a table just the way we want it. And that's what we're looking for. Now, I've got a, my picnic basket. I hope you don't mind, because I never know what's going to happen when I travel, so I always carry my basket. And this is the kind of table we think God sets for us. Fourth of July is coming up soon, and we love picnics. At least I do. Burgers and hot dogs and everything else. And we think this is the kind of table God's going to set for us. Plastic, right? Paper plate. Got a flag on it, Fourth of July. I'm pretty patriotic. And we're looking for God to move on our behalf. Even got a flag napkin. I match. That's pretty good for a bachelor, isn't it? Paper cup. I couldn't match a silverware. It's all I had in the house. But we're ready. God has set a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And that's what we expect sometimes, and that's what we think. We need to realize, sometimes we are like the Israelites. They needed food, and God provided manna day after day after day after day after day. The same food, it never ended. And they began to complain. We shouldn't complain. We should be thankful. Thankful for what God gives us. The reason we complain is we don't realize what God gives us. God doesn't give us this. Not at all. What does God give us? He never gives us second best. His plan is to give us all that we don't deserve. We really think what we deserve, we don't deserve very much. But God's plan is to give us what we don't deserve. His plan is to give us the best, the best of everything. The best table setting, the best that we could ever imagine, God is going to give us. We settle for second best way too many times. You know that? We don't realize what God wants to do. We don't realize that God is always looking to give us the very best in our lives. So what do we do? We cry, we whine, we complain because we want the best, but we don't believe that God is going to do it for us. I want the best out of my life. When my wife passed away, I thought, God, you didn't give me the best. This was the best of my life. How could this even happen? I serve you. I gave my life over to you completely. What God does for us is the best. The best crystal candlesticks, the best china, the best silverware, only the finest, no second best. He sits at the table before me in the presence of my enemies. I went to a restaurant recently, gorgeous place, called the Hershey Hotel. It's five star, my first time there. As I sat there just a few weeks ago, I watched the busboy clean a table off. Now, this place is jumping. It's hopping. It's crazy. Waitresses and waiters walking around and coming through and everything else is going on and people serving food and it's very elaborate and very exclusive and I was fortunate to even be able to go there and I watched this busboy go over with a cart and in, among all the hubbub, all the noise, all that was taking place, he cleans the table off and he puts a new tablecloth down and he puts new candles out and he puts fresh flowers and he's setting the table and he's not even distracted by what's going on around him. Look at it sometime. He just keeps setting the table 
putting the best out all the time. That's what God does for us. He's not distracted. He puts the best out all the time in the presence of our enemies. Next time you're working, your boss is breathing down your neck. See Jesus there setting the table right in the midst of your boss. Your boss can't see him, but you can see him. He's setting the place for you to relax and to be calm because he wants to serve you right in the midst of your enemies. When the doctor says it's cancer or some other ailment and the finances and the bank statement are less than the month is coming up, don't be alarmed. Jesus is there right when you're surrounded by your enemies, right when it seems hopeless. The hope is there. He doesn't give you paper plates and second best. He sets a table that's the best for you. God has your best in mind every time, all the time. Remember, he can't turn away from you no matter what you're going through. He's always looking in your eyes, always looking at your expression, always setting the table. As our musicians return, I want to pray with you. I want you to feel surrounded by what God is going to do for you. Maybe when his service is over, you may need to come up and just take a look at the table and put the image in your mind and remember that God sets a, tank, a banquet table for you like nothing else. Right in the middle, right in the center, right in the presence of your enemies. God sets a table for you, a table of hope. Don't be hopeless. The Holy Spirit is giving you hope. You close your eyes and pray with me. Father, today, I don't know what my friends are going through or what difficulties they're going to face this next few weeks or few months. But the life we live is never easy. We are surrounded by enemies. And I would ask you, God, that you would put a touch on their lives. Help them to remember that even in the midst of all the turmoil, all the trouble, all the heartache that comes our way, that, Lord, that our soul can be awakened even in the presence of our enemies because you, God, you yourself, say you will set a table for us like we've never seen. We just commit ourselves to you, Father, today. We commit our lives and our situations to you, knowing that you're always at work. You always have our best interest in mind. You're always serving us. May we forever be thankful in your name. You have been listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.